0: Good morning, glad you're here, and if you're visiting, we're particularly grateful to see different faces and grateful that you have blessed us by making the choice to come up the hill and be with us and hope that it's been worth your while and will be uh, as you leave today. It's the last Sunday of 2019, great way to close out your year to be here together. I've got a. if you would make your way to Matthew 27, we're going to be in that chapter Uh, the whole time so you won't be moving back and forth. You can be comfortable in one spot. Grateful that you're here. Tonight we're going to be having the first of two year in review uh, presentations I guess I would say. It's about the people uh, that have come to us or that have made some major decisions in this year at Valley View and it's going to be worth your while but I will just warn you I've had to do this before after an apology so I'll do it uh, as permission instead this time. Uh, we're going to show pictures of people, those who've passed, those who've been born, those who've been baptized. If that bothers you for any particular reason, I just want you to know, do what you need to do. We're going to be showing those as part of our family of the year, so uh, family news of the year. And uh, if for some, they just, they feel extra sensitive about that and I can appreciate it. Just want you to know that it is taking place this evening. Next Sunday night, We'll look at the events of the year and uh, some things already planned for next year. We're already uh, well on our way to doing some neat things next year. It's, you're gonna love being at Valley View next year, so if you're looking for a place uh, to, to, to nail down a, a place to go, we'd love to have you uh, along with this journey with us. A special note was handed last Sunday. Uh, uh, Valley View, I would like to thank you for taking such good care of my dad. He loves his church, his church family, and God with all his heart. I ask you for um, you to continue to pray for him and his family as he continues his walk with God until he finishes his race. He's been blessed with an amazing journey. All my thanks, Summer, uh, that's the daughter of Steve Mayville. And so she was here last Sunday with her family, and she was expressing a lot of concern and a lot of great gratitude, and that continues. And I've heard that also from Debbie Owens, who lost her father. Her funeral was Friday. I went by to see her, and she was just so grateful for the outpouring of support. And, and I just, if you're one of those people who has a heart of compassion for others, and, and you show it by your prayers and your cards and your visits or calls or whatever, I want you to know it matters. It matters a great deal, and this church needs people doing that. That is a ministry. That is a gift. If that's your gift, use it. Use it to build up the kingdom. And some people are we're grateful for that. So join me in Matthew 27 in just a second. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. By the way, as I understand it, the Malones, Chris and Emily, are living with Chris's parents until their house is built. And so their greatest, greatest thing for 2020 is it's going to be done. Is that for both of you? The dad says yes, and Chris says yes. Terry and Anita Greenway, is that you right there? I just spotted some very famous former Kennett people who are now Indiana people. And I just have to say that, and I, that disrupted the flow of stuff. But that's okay. I love seeing you guys here. Matthew chapter 27. One, one line. That's all it is, just one line. He has the main part of the entire drama of the plan of redemption and we're we're thrown right into the main heart of the scene this is the moment of redemption taking place and there's our savior doing the work of redemption and it reaches a high pitch and he has one line that's it all these other people are speaking down at the foot of the cross, making fun of him and, 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 and jeering him. And they have all sorts of lines in the story. But in Matthew and Mark, Jesus has one line. Now, you're going to say, well, I know he spoke more. We know that from John and Luke. I know, but the way Matthew's presenting the story, Jesus has one line, one thing. And you can understand it, too, can't you? He's got a nail through his feet, so he's going to have to climb. He's got to kind of push up on that nail and pull up on the others through his hands in order to free up his lungs enough to be able to speak something that can be heard. So listen, he doesn't have a, a convenient way of conversing with these people from high up on the cross. If he's going to say something, it better matter, because he's got limited mobility and limited ability to speak anything. So he's going to speak one, if you, got, you better make it count, and he speaks one line, that's all. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? One line. Right before this, from 12 noon, middle of the day, 12 noon to 3 in the afternoon, total pitch darkness. That's unusual no matter where you are. Something weird's happening here in all this darkness. And as if, to interpret it, Jesus yells out at the end of that or in the midst of that. We don't really know. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His one line, the Savior of the world's one line in the heart of the story of redemption The people scatter, some put some stuff on a, give something for him to drink from the sponge, and apparently he drinks it. And then others say, you know, we think think what he means here, because he's using a different language than the people at the foot of the cross. And so they think, we think he's calling Elijah, maybe God's going to send his cavalry after all. Let's sit back and watch it, but nothing. That one line, and then nothing. And then in just a few short minutes, I guess, there's a cry out again, and we have no idea what the words are, but that cry was the cry of death. One line from the cross out of the words of the Son of God. When there's only one line, you better pay attention. It must mean something. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, there are some people that say, well, he just means this. He feels like he's being forsaken, and no wonder, right? Here he is on the cross, the sinless Son of God, and he's suffering alone up there, and it's excruciating. And here's the other thing. He's taking upon himself the sins of the world, and he's never sinned ever. And he's been in perfect communion with the Father since, well, there's not been a sense. It's just always been that way. Eternally one with the Father. And now, for three days, we just call it three days, but it could be one second. For the first time ever, he's got a separation between him and his Father, and it's excruciating. That's what hell is. Hell is. You're nowhere near God. Is that what he means? You see, we spent years of our life separated from God, and we're used to it. And there' seasons, even of our Christian lives, where we're not real close to God and we rebel for a while and we have a separation between us and God, but we're used to it. That's our human nature. Sin doesn't just startle us anymore. It doesn't rock our world anymore. But here Jesus takes upon himself the sin of the world and for the first time he and the Father are at odds. And how excruciating. He still is God, my God, but why have you forsaken? He knows why. But he's never felt this before. It's one thing to know something. It's another thing to know something. That could be what he's doing. It could be, it could be as some say that he's, He's applying the entire 27th Psalm to what's going on right here. And it would make sense. This is not the only allusion to this. I want you to look at Psalm 22 with me. And and, and then, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 27 with me. And we're going to interpret it through Psalm 22. In verses 35 and 36, you see the soldiers dividing up his garments. You see that? 35 and 36 of Matthew 27. When they crucified and divided his garments among by casting lots. Now you look at Psalm 22, especially that last verse. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Is that not creepy? It's like he's saying this entire thing has been forecast and scripted from before time. It's not just Psalm 22, 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the entire psalm. And then verse thirty nine, you see that weird word. It's a it's a word that you don't hear very often. Wagging their heads, you see that in verse thirty nine. Those who pass by derided him, wagging their heads. And then you look at Psalm twenty two verse seven, and there you have it. All those who see me mock me, and they they make my, you know they open their mouths about me, and they wag their heads. Wow, that's weird. That language doesn't just appear everywhere. And then in verse forty three, the religious leaders. This is them, this is this is almost comedy. The Pharisees think let's make fun of him and so they say something in particular. I want you to look at verse 43 with me in Matthew 27. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him for he said, I am the son of God. They should have known something. If you look at Matthew or Psalm 22 verse 8, he trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him if he delights in him. They aren't even saying their own words. God is putting words in their mouths from Psalm 22. And then at the end of Psalm 22, close to the end, verse 27, there's this, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the ends of the earth doesn't just mean everywhere on the globe, it means even Gentiles. And at the end of this scene of the cross, you have a centurion, a Gentile soldier who After he sees Jesus and how he died, says, surely this was the Son of God. Listen, Psalm 22 is like the script for what's happening at the scene of the cross. And Jesus is saying, I want you to know, I want you guys to remember and I want you to reflect that this was always in the heart of God and this is part of his plan. And yet I still believe Jesus very much felt forsaken. He is pointing on the cross to us and he's saying to us, This is a psalm about feeling forsaken and yet staying faithful. And that by feeling forsaken and yet staying faithful, you draw people to God. That's what he's saying in Psalm 22. And Jesus says, that's what I'm doing here. I am feeling forsaken, but I'm doing the right thing and I'm drawing the world to myself. There are going to be times in your life This is not a question, and this is not an exception. There are going to be times in your life when you will feel forsaken by God. You will look at the circumstances of your life, and they won't line up with what you would expect as a father of the king of kings. It won't line up with what you think you should experience as a child who's trusted himself to the one who's sovereign. Let me put this in a kind of a a very loose syllogism. First of all, our God is sovereign. Our God is sovereign. You know what sovereign means? He's in charge of the universe. Now, he's not controlling everything. God does not control everything. Watch your language because God doesn't control everything. This world doesn't look like a world controlled by God because it's not. But God is still in charge of everything. He is sovereign, and also God is good, and he's loving, right? And also, we are God's children. He loves us. Do you believe these three things? You believe it in your heart? Can I, that's why you're here on Sunday morning, right? You're not going to be here if you didn't think he loves you, and if he has some sovereignty over the world, and His truth, is truth above all things, capital T. But then comes the fourth thing. Sometimes things happen that simply don't make sense to me. Sinless son of God, perfectly fulfilled the will of God, and he's dying alone in excruciating death as a a criminal. Doesn't make sense, but it's the storyline. It's the very center of what we believe. It's the heart of our truth. It's what we celebrated this morning around this table. And the same thing will happen to you. There'll be things that happen in your life that just don't make sense of God's sovereign. And this, and we'll even judge each other by this. You know, the Corinthians, for instance, they looked at Paul's life and they said, how in the world can you be a special servant of God? How can you be an apostle that God has inspired as authoritative? Look at your life, the Corinthians said. You're in jail half the time. You're beaten up all the time. You've got scars everywhere. That doesn't look like a person who's in the will of God. That's the problem, isn't it? human logic. We judge each other from human logic. Listen, if Paul put his resume on paper, there ain't no church in America that would hire the boy. They would never hire him. Look at that track record. We're just going to be in trouble if we have him. Forget him. Right, yeah, and that is the apostle of God, the greatest servant of God besides Christ to ever live. You're going to feel the same way. Unless you've been sheltered all your life and live in this glory land existence, I'm going to tell you, there are going to be moments in your life where you believe in God despite appearances to the contrary. You're going to have evidence in your face that would cause you to question the very essence of your faith, and yet you're going to believe anyway, and you have to. If you don't get there, you will not get there. But the greatest insight I think we get from the cross... And this scene in these words of Jesus is, what do you do in those times? I'm going to just assume I don't have to prove that life lived as a Christian sometimes looks funky. That sometimes you feel forsaken. I could pile up evidence, but I'm not going to. I'm going to assume you give me that. Yes. Life sometimes feels God forsaken but what do you do? I've had families in the last couple of weeks just talking, they come and they said, listen, our lives are a mess right here in these certain circumstances of our lives and we don't know really why all this is happening, we don't, but we're not questioning that. We're not questioning why this happens or how this came about. We're asking this, what do we do about it? I just want to know what do I do. When I'm feeling God forsaken, I want to know what do I do. And Jesus on the cross shows us I want to make it a practical lesson, something that actually matters to your behavior. And the first one is this. You realize you're not the first person to feel this way. So many people, when they're going through it, they're like, I'm the only one who's experienced this. Wrong. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus is going through it, he doesn't utter an original line? Wouldn't you think the Son of God, the Holy Son of God, would give you some profound insight from the cross that no one's ever heard before? I mean, this is a moment unlike anyone's seen ever before. And yet what he chooses to do is to reach back in history and steal a line from something that's already been spoken before by a human being. It's like, you ever been in those moments? Those moments when, oh, this is just like that quote from that movie. You ever been there? Oh, this is like life is a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. You ever said that? Because something back there that you've got in your memory makes this moment make sense. Jesus, when he's on that cross, he reaches back to the life of David and says, this is what David felt like. You remember David, right? Let me give you some trivia. How many brothers did he have lined up to be anointed that day Samuel came? Not six and not eight. But in between six and eight. Seven. And here's this: Samuel coming to anoint. God has sent Samuel to anoint a whole new king. Saul's not going to be good enough. He's he's not been faithful to me. So I'm anointed. And they go through all seven, and they all look studly. They look and and that's surely the king. Nope. You know where David was? Where was David? He's tending the sheep out there. Doing what every little ruddy teenager does for his father who raises sheep. And he, oh, go get him. They get him and he pours oil on his head. And he says, now you are God's chosen one to be king. Now you, you expect now, right? The rest of the way is going to be smooth sailing. Isn't it? I mean, you just got anointed by God, the man after God's own heart, to be the king over your people. It's smooth sailing, right? Isn't that what you expect? That's not what happens. He goes through horrible Experiences running from Saul in the wilderness for years, hiding in caves, living in the open air, depending on other people for food. Does that look like a royal life to you? Now, I don't know when he wrote Psalm 22 and about what circumstance in his life, but it could have been a number of them. David felt forsaken. God, he looks up at the night sky while he's out there in the wilderness and he looks up and he says, God, I was minding my own business with the sheep. Why didn't you just leave me alone? If this is what you called me to, I picture, my mind as, I picture my life as a king before you, anointed by you as being a, a powerful. But right now, for years, I'm having to live out of a suitcase. And not only did he run from Saul, but later on, he runs from his own son. And he's feeling forsaken by God, and he writes it down in Psalm 22. Yes, that is a messianic psalm, but it's a Davidic psalm first. David felt this, and he wrote it down, and he shares this with the life of the faithful. And the reason it resonates is because being forsaken is in the DNA of the Christian life. Feeling forsaken is going to be, it is not an aberration. It doesn't call into question your sonship or your daughtership. It's a unique way that God prepares you to trust him completely. David quoted it. So Jesus reaches back and steals words from David. Paul, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he had to make his defense before Caesar, and guess who stood with him? Anybody want to guess? Nobody. And he feels forsaken, Second Timothy chapter 4. And all these words that are non-Pauline, and everybody says Paul couldn't have written them, those words largely come from Psalm 22. I'm telling you, when he's in prison in Rome, he's meditating on the same psalm that Jesus was on the cross in the same way that David was originally because this is part of the life of the faithful. You will feel forsaken sometimes. And right now at Valley View, there are people in our members, our family, our brothers and sisters that feel this forsakenness. They're sitting at the bedside of a loved one that they had planned to live a whole lot longer together and have a walk of faithfulness together. And they planned on celebrating many, many more anniversaries, but they're not gonna. They're not gonna. And they're sitting at the bedside thinking, how can this bring more glory to God than more years of faithfulness? I feel a little forsaken, they're thinking. There are some Who's sitting there thinking, I want a, I want a family life that is a Christian family. To bring honor and glory to God, but you know what? They can't find that Christian mate. They're not around, and so they're sitting there, do do I compromise, do I wait, do I live in the loneliness, am I being forsaken? Or maybe they do, maybe they do get married and find that mate, and then they wanna bring children into it, and what could be wrong? What could possibly be in God's mind of saying to two godly Christian people who want to have children and bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, what could possibly make God say no? What could possibly serve God's purpose by letting them fail to do that? Is it any wonder they feel forsaken? Or maybe you married that Christian person who then abandons their faith and one day says to you, I don't love you anymore, I'm out of here. And that dream, that dream that guided you and you were determined to live it and you followed exactly what God wanted you to and you did exactly just the timing that God wanted you to and it fails. You being forsaken? You lived a life well. You've raised your kids the best you know how. They go AWOL, and you're left raising your grandkids. Is God abandoning you? Are you being forsaken? You, you want to bring glory to God in every context of your life, and you have a good job, but you're laid off your job, and you're struggling to make ends meet, and how can this bring glory to God better than having a faith demonstrated in the workplace? Has he forsaken you? Let me answer that. The answer is no, but you will feel it. And there's nothing wrong with feeling it. And don't tell somebody they're not feeling it. Don't tell them that because they are. Respect the feeling. Scriptures for this too. You realize you're not alone, that you're in this great company. Listen, the class of God, the students of God in his class, the prized students have experienced difficulty. And you will too, and you will feel God forsaken. But you're not alone, you're not unique, and it's not somehow a compromise. It's not something that calls you to call into question whether you're God's child or not. And the other thing, Scripture here, listen, we, 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 we... We look to Scripture for a pattern. That's the word we've used for years. That's why we do the five acts of worship on Sunday morning. But that's not all Scripture is. And for those of you who do your five acts, and it never becomes another, it never functions in your life beyond that, I'm sorry, because Scripture is a whole lot more than that. It's a whole lot more. And it's, it's the source of our doctrine. It's why we believe and why we argue to people. Listen, your baptism is more essential than you know, more important than you know, and the Holy Spirit is in your life. And we do need to walk about in purity, and we need to watch our language and all these doctrines. It's true, it's doctrine, but it's more than that. This is a word from God for every circumstance of your life, and he provided it for you for encouragement and for comfort, and a lot of us refuse to look at it for that. There's a lot more than the pattern. There's a lot more than just doctrine. There is survival in the word of God. That's where you go, and that's where God's people have always gone. Is it any wonder when Jesus thought he was about to die and bust and he's separated from God, he returns back to that scripture. And that's what he consults. And not only that, but he knew what it said and he knew where he was because this is what he knew. Jesus had to suffer and die according to the scriptures. Paul says he had to be buried according to the scriptures. He had to rise again because of this, According to the scriptures, he had some light in the darkness because he had the word of God in his heart. The third thing is he prayed. The words from the cross were not words spoken to those people down there jeering him and making fun of him. He was not taking issue with any of the things they were saying. He wasn't saying some profound doctrinal thought. He was providing it in his actions, but the words the words were directed to his father, not to the tormentors. Because everything in your life is ultimately about your relationship with God. Everything is meant to be viewed through the lens of God. And so he says, there's a lot I'm confused about, and I'm feeling twisted on the inside, and I'm feeling forsaken, and I'm feeling distant, but you are still my God, and I will still come to you for understanding. I will still come to you for answers. I will still stay with you until the darkness is over. I'm not leaving you. You are my God, my God, and I'm not leaving, and you shouldn't either. And when the temptation comes that you think the only proper answer is to leave your God, that is insane. You need him most then, and that's why prayer is given to you. He knows where to take the issue, doesn't he? He knows where to go with it. We've had fog so thick around here recent days, and I'm going to tell you that's what your mind feels sometimes. And you sometimes mystifyingly shrug your shoulders and say, just don't know. But you do know one thing. He is your God, and you can always go to him. And that's where you take it. And you take your questions and your appeals and your complaints. You can answer or say anything, ask or say anything or complain anything in the presence of God. He's not offended. But mark this, do not require an answer as a condition for continuing to follow him, but you keep praying anyway. Those three are big, but here's the biggest one of all, and it challenges every one of us in our human thinking. There's a lot you don't understand and a lot of confusion in your head, but you always do the right thing. Jesus wanted out. He felt that loneliness and he wanted out. He wanted out in the garden, you remember. He didn't want to do this, but he knew that that's what God's will was and he settled what he was going to do in the garden. Before he ever got to the cross, he settled it. I know how I feel, I know what I think, but I also know what God wants and I'm going to do the right thing. And listen, you got to say this. Regardless of how he felt, He was going to do the right thing. Regardless of how he felt, he would do the right thing. Regardless of what thoughts were going through his head, he's going to do the right thing. You're going to feel a lot of ways, and you're going to think a lot of ways. And your mind's going to get muddled, and your rational mind is going to go irrational, and you're going to think some weird thoughts, and you're going to plot some weird ideas. In the middle of all that, just do what you know is right. Right? It's never wrong to do the right thing. You may be in your marriage where you have this season of distance between you and your spouse. There's confusion. You're not on the same page. You feel distant. You feel squabbly at each other, and you just feel like things are falling apart, and I know that's how you feel. I know that's how you feel. It's muddled, muddled, and your emotions are going haywire like this, but what you must do is the right thing. What you must do is what you know is right. What you must do is, regardless of how you feel, you honor that vow. That will always be the right thing, short of abuse. There'll be many things people tell you how you raise your kids. And listen, there's some competing ideas and conflicting advice. Find the right thing that's always the right thing and do that. There's a lot of things you won't know and a lot of feelings. And listen, when you're feeling these things in yourself, you start changing your thoughts about things and it gets you really muddled. Do the right thing anyway. If ever those feelings are causing you, listen to this. If ever those feelings of the moment, that forsakenness and that distance, would cause you to quit trusting Scripture would cause you to stop talking to God in prayer. If ever those feelings give you the idea, the best thing to do is separate yourself from the fellowship of your brothers and sisters. If ever your feelings and your thoughts say to you, maybe I should stop going to worship, it is a lie. Label it a lie and do what you know is right. It's never wrong to do the right thing. I say to people, Teenagers before they do the dating thing. Trust me in this. I'm not so old that I don't remember this. When you get on that date, your mind will start playing tricks on you. Your feelings will start doing some funky things. But before you go on that date, you review in your mind what you know is right and what you know is wrong. And when you're ever confused, you stick with what you know. Because your mind will play tricks and your body will want what it wants. But your brain knows what's right and what's wrong. And when you're in a marriage and things get a little rocky and you start saying, I never loved him, I never loved him, and I don't like him now, you are letting your emotions of the present reinterpret the history that was different than what you're remembering. Don't trust the emotion. Do what you know is right. Jesus on that cross, if he would have done according to his feelings, he would not have stayed there. I promise you he wouldn't. If he would have done, if he would have thought and taken inventory, how do I feel about this? Well, I feel like like my real self wants to come down from here. That's my real self, and I want to be my real self, and I want to be honest with my... We've got a world telling us if you ever have a fleeting thought in your head, that might be you. And you've got to be your authentic self. That is a lie. You've got to be God's self. He doesn't say take up your cross and find your true self. He says take up your cross, deny yourself. If he had gone with his feelings we would be an unredeemed, lost people. He went with what he knew was right. And he said no to those feelings. And he said, I'm confused. I've never felt this before. I've never experienced this before. But one thing I know is my father asked me to complete this, and that's what I'm going to do. And that's what Christians do. That's what Christians do. God is gracious. He does not put in invisible ink or even small print you are going to feel God forsaken. He puts it on every page of his book. It's in every book of Scripture, and it's in every line. It seems like, and in the very centerpiece of what we celebrate, that if there's anything you know about the Christian faith, it's this. It's a cross, smack dab in the middle of it. It is a son of God dying on a cross. I'm telling you, God forsakenness is going to be part of your experience. God promised it. But he also said, you'll know you're never forsaken. You won't feel that way, but you will know You're never forsaken. And when you do have that feeling, I want you to know, lean on the experience of others in Scripture and around you because there are people in here who can testify to this. Know God's story in Scripture. Talk to Him in your prayer life. Say, my God, my God, and take it all to Him. And then do always what you know is right. And soon the cloud will lift. The cloud and the haze will lift. The fog will be out of here by 10, the weatherman says. And it's right. It seems so dark and it seems so dreary and you thought this is going to rule our lives by 10 it's gone and you're going to look back and you're going to say and see God was there all the time and you're going to be a stronger person if there's any need you have to respond this morning make it known as we stand and as we sing